with so many podcasts out there, shows can get lost in the shuffle. That's why we implore you to check out Too Many Captains. You can find us at a moviepodcast.com. Five unique takes on Hollywood movies and culture. Find us on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Check our intellectual deep dives into theatrical films. Find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions. Unique takes on soundtracks. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash too many captains productions. Find us at a moviepodcast.com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. And now, here comes a new episode of Collateral Cinema. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Robert Oregon. I'm Ashley Chancellor. And I'm Captain Nostalgia. And this is Collateral Cinema. <laughs> Welcome to Collateral Cinema, the only movie podcast that matters, where we focus on good movies, bad movies, and everything else in between in the world of cinema. We're podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas, and yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast. So whatever you have, be it dabs, blunts, bongs, or joints, smoke it if you've got it. And Merry fucking Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays. Happy Christmas Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate. <laughs> This is a joyous time of year, isn't that right, guys? I would say this is a deadly time of year. Very deadly. Oh. Yeah, the scariest time of year, apparently, according to the Wait. grandfather in this movie. <laughs> Who's that voice we hear? There's there's a guest on this episode? Yeah, there's what? a guest on this episode. This is a crosscast. Crosscast, woohoo! Hey! Yeah, well, we're happy to welcome back Captain Nostalgia on the podcast for the second year in the row on a holiday special. I don't know. Is this just going to be a thing now? I mean, I, I tried to do this one year with another podcast and it didn't work out in my favor. So I, I'm game to do this as a tradition if you guys want to do moving forward. What are we doing Just next don't make year? me watch Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Yeah, don't watch that. No, that's pretty much just a clip show all the way through. Even though it's free on YouTube, don't watch it. Yeah, it's even free on Tubi. Don't yeah, watch it. Don't watch it. I made the mistake of watching it right after the first one, and I was like, man, this is terrible. Yeah. Why did this get made? It got made for the meme, man. Damn. That's why. A garbage day. <laughs> and I don't understand how people like still like love this movie with a passion. I don't get it either, honestly. I mean, it, it, it's weird what kind of movies become really iconic in horror. Like, in a way, Sleepaway Camp is kind of like that. It, it's odd that that became kind of iconic in the way it did. Yeah. And Sleepaway Camp's not terrible, though. No, no. it's a great. I'm no. not saying it's a bad movie. It's just kind of, you know, weird how it works out that way that a movie like that becomes Fair. iconic, you know? Fair. And it's kind of the same thing with this movie. I mean... This was a movie that had a lot of controversy building up to its release and everything. Apparently, it was considered for a full release, but it was it was TriStar that did this, right? 
Yes, they did. Yeah, TriStar mm-hmm. apparently, after pressure from outside groups and mainly a bunch of moms with nothing better to do. I hate I hate moms with nothing better to do. Yeah, suburban moms. Yeah, we we have a parents. we have a name. Yeah, we have a name for that nowadays. Our, our generations desperate right? desperate housewives. <laughs> Drink, drinking mimosas. Oh God! But apparently, yeah, this movie was actually pulled from distribution after a few weeks, even after it made back its original budget and everything. Yeah. And it like went on and to have a essentially a different life in physical media, like VHS, like it kind of where is was starting to become a cult classic. Is is that correct? I mean, because it had such a limited release, I mean, it was initially a hit with the younger crowd. And as soon as it started to hit home video, that's where it really started to take off. But that's the case with a lot of slasher movies. Nationwide, it would have been bigger, but now it's more popular more than ever. Yeah. And it's not even a movie that would be that far-fetched to come out nowadays either. I mean, yeah, it's certainly controversial. I mean, what is there not to pick it over you've got titties you've got classic slasher kills and it's all done in the holiday spirit yep (laughs) indeed captain what did you think about the actual framing of the story of this movie it's it's kind of interesting because it's a little different from other slasher movies in that we actually get a little bit of a backstory to the main killer so uh, this is one of the things that I found so compelling about this movie was Billy's arc for maybe your, your listeners. I was on the Grinch last year and you guys did uh, you were next on our show, but we're a show that focuses on uh, mental health awareness through pop culture. And so one of the things that I found really compelling about Billy's story was the fact that he becomes a killer solely basically out of the Harvey Dent logic of tragic where you either live long enough to see yourself become the villain or you die a hero. And that was really compelling for me to kind of see it. Now I have thoughts once he finally takes on the Santa suit that we can get into a little bit later, but I liked the fact that they gave him this tragic backstory really fleshed out his character and rooted it in reality because like ash was saying it's not really too far-fetched to see something like this happen modern day on the big screen but even like pulling up something like cnn and watching someone do this yeah it's not even that far-fetched when it comes to real life you know Mm -hmm. no like and there are actual killings through and through yep go ahead bro there are actual like maskers on Christmas Day too, you know. Yeah, there was uh, one where a dude was wearing a Santa suit that happened. It was like maybe about ten years ago yeah. or so. I'll like, believe it. So people do this. This is actual real shit. Yeah. Oh no, you got me worried, guys. Mm. Yeah, but I, I did mean, that. Even- I did that year next episode, and for like the entire like next two weeks. I was scared shitless about like someone just like coming into my home. Yeah. <laughs> really? You were scared of that? Because that's something that could actually happen. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like it's a home invasion movie, like fake, dude. I mean, it you could know, happen. like supernatural. I like, know, but I happen. mean, this is still Texas. I mean, come on now. <laughs> yeah, and it's Texas 
right after the election when when Biden was president and I'm a prominent leftist in a very uh yeah. in, a, in a very conservative demographic so <laughs> yeah well you I know I have something to fear about I'm pretty outspoken with my beliefs on Facebook so <laughs> once again like I said we're in Texas <laughs> yeah Ugh. It's, so, it's tense pretty much across the board in all states, so. Yeah, pretty much. Not just in Texas. It is. <laughs> but here in Texas, you know, we like to do it bigger here, and so do Everything they. Everything is bigger in Texas. You know. But anywho. Well, I was going to say that Billy is a victim in this movie, you know, kind of tacking on to what you were saying before, Cap. But you have a lot of sympathy for Billy even throughout the entire movie, because it seems to me that after what he had gone through, it, it, it's almost like it was just the perfect mix of ingredients that triggered the psychopathic, or I guess you could say sociopathic spree that he goes on, you know, cause he's got a little bit, he's got some alcohol in his system. He's got that childhood trauma and he mm -hmm. literally witnesses a rape. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like twice you know? in his life. But even so, you have to also say something about how this could still be even a negative portrayal of people with those types of illnesses and trauma any, or anything like that, right? I would argue that, yes, I could see that point of view as well. Because you are saying, like, this is the most extreme result possible that could come from something like this. Yeah. Now... Also, too, one of the things that I did appreciate about the, the second movie is the fact that Ricky, who also Billy's little brother, witnesses everything and says, like, he's basically kind of going through a therapeutic session the entire first half to an hour of that movie, yeah. recounting yeah. all of the events of the first film. So Billy is like that kind of goes into that you could get into the whole discussion of like men and mental health and like how men kind of like almost close themselves off. So it's like, that is an extreme result, but also at the same time, like if, if society didn't pressure men to kind of be a certain way and you know, that it wasn't a bad thing to talk about your feelings, I could definitely see it from the bad point of view, but also at the same time, it's like, it's the perfect storm of like Ash was saying of everything with the, the booze and witnessing the rapes and then this, this trauma and then keeping that bottled up for the entire time. Like it's like, no one's, you know, really going to understand why I fear Santa Claus. But when I tell them in this perspective about this story, then maybe they'd understand it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and he's got all this, this fear of Santa Claus and association of Santa Claus to these things that he's witnessed. And then he is Santa Claus. So in a sense, as you know, he sees it, he has no choice but to move forward and do what Santa Claus is supposed to do. And that's even foreshadowed with his boss, Mr. Sims, you know, drilling that into him. You got to do. And he's very vague about it. And, it. and it's done on purpose because he's like, you have to do what Santa, you know, what Santa Claus does on Christmas Eve. Right. You <laughs> know, and here's Billy, like thinking about that, like, I've got to do what Santa Claus does. I would say that scene is subtle, like a brick, honestly, because, I mean, it just foreshadows everything. I mean, he pretty much pokes and prods Billy into doing what he does. Yeah. Like, I mean, completely unaware, <laughs> almost consciously in a way. I, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of on the nose as far as the, those types of scenes are concerned. Naughty. <laughs> <laughs>
Now, now that kind of brings me back to the scene really early on in the movie where we see the grandfather. And that is like one of the stupidest parenting choices ever, right? Let's <laughs> let's leave your kid with your catatonic out out of his mind grandfather, you know? I mean, there's no telling what he will say to him. But it made for one of the creepiest moments in the movie. Yeah, yeah. probably in horror film history. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wasn't I mean, expecting that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just the delivery, it's it's like he's, you know that he's trying to just fuck with this kid, but, I mean, there, there's just a glee to it, kind of. There's a gleam in his eye while he's saying it, but it's still delivered in a way where it's just like, whoa, this is intimidating, this is fierce, this is, uh, this is dirty, like, what the hell? Another moment that's very on the nose, too, because there's no reason that the grandfather should be acting like that except for the fact that he's completely crazy. And it just so happens that that's what happens to the family that night. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Pretty much. I, I don't know. Could that, could that just be called convenient exposition, though? Probably. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> they actually reenact that same scene in the remake, don't they? Almost like word for word, right? Practically. I think we yeah. watched that. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was practically uh, note for note. Mm -hmm. And... Honestly, I kind of have a theory about the grandfather. My theory is is that he is someone who went through the whole Santa Claus thing, and he he's already passed it on to somebody, but he just went really crazy because of it, and now he just fucks with kids just for the fuck of it, right? <laughs> so with that theory, are you saying that it's kind of almost like the end of Halloween 4 where they imply that Michael Myers like has a gene in his bloodline that passes on the evil? Yeah, something like that. It, it's just <laughs> something in the in the claws that actually passes on his uh, compunction to you know punish naughty children that way. In the claws. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm just bullshitting. Honestly, that's just kind of a theory that sounds funny to me. Is that that somehow the grandfather is uh, Santa Claus in some way? <laughs> or the Dosecki's guy? Oh yeah, you know he's probably the most likely the Dos the Dosecki's guy, like 100. Can he be the Mel Gibson version of Santa Claus? Because that Santa Claus is badass. Yo, oh. you guys can hear us talk about Fat Man on Victims and Villains too. Yeah, part two for the crosscast. Yeah, that's gonna be a lot of fun because that that trailer really piqued my interest. I mean, that's an original angle to take as far as Santa Claus is concerned, right, Robert? Yeah, that is crazy. I mean, I thought Reindeer's Games was crazy. Oh, uh, Reindeer Games. That's a great movie. Yeah, love that movie. Yeah. It's been a while, but great movie. Yeah, and I, I like the way that the image of Santa Claus is used in this movie, of course. Yeah, it's always kind of really ominous and foreboding. It's always in the background kind of looming over everything, right? Man, I did not like really pick up on that. But like now in hindsight, the way that the director kind of like blocked each scene did a really good job with kind of like hinting that as well. Yeah. Like here's a here's an interesting example. It's when Billy first is uh, made to put the Santa suit on, and he's looking in the mirror. And if you look on top of the mirror, like there's several Halloween masks of like Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse and everything, kind of just looking at him yep. with like just blank eyes, just wild bewilderment, kind of. And to me, that's an interesting bit of visual foreshadowing as to what Billy is about to become. Did it bother anyone that, like, when Billy goes, like, full homicidal that he never actually had 
the beard on. Like it was always wrapped around his like chin diaper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that bothered me too. <laughs> that was weird. I mean, even that little girl who uh, Linnea Quigley was babysitting didn't really like notice anything about that. I, I don't get that. I think it looked like Zach Morris. I don't know. Zach Morris in the Santa suit. <laughs> I cannot see it now. Uh, no, he's so, like that scene where he's he has the little girl on his lap and she's like wiggling and he's like, if you don't stay still, Santa's going to have to punish you and I'm going to, you know, come and mess you up. And like, yeah, so that, she, was, like, that was weird. Cries to mommy. It, it's such an intense, like, but effective scene and seeing him as this like traditional jolly man in full getup with the beard up to his nose, it made it that much more creepier. It and was. It, yeah. yeah. I don't understand why they would like forego that for the remainder of the movie. It's a very Maybe. weird directorial choice to say the least. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I think that he should have had the beard on most of the time, especially when he went into the house where uh, Linnea Quigley was. Like, I think that would have made that even more terrifying. Especially the fact that the point of origin for his trauma was a guy in a full Santa beard. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah, yeah. It, the would be, it would be a cool moment where he, you see him lift up the mustache and beard. So, like, in a, essentially he's becoming the Santa Claus that he knows. Yeah, he's gone yeah. full mask on in a way. That, that, that would have been really symbolic. And they, they didn't go that way. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what the remake focuses on. It's it's a mask. You know, I think it's like a plastic mask with a glued-on beard, right? Yeah, it's one of those really cheap Santa masks. <laughs> anyway, he made it himself, and it looks freaking terrifying. Okay, I don't know if anyone has ever seen Doctor Who, but some of the Christmas episodes of Doctor Who are pretty wacky. And, yep. and I want to say there is one of them where they have full-on, like, Santa helmets, and they kill people. Oh, Lord. That's awesome. I need to find that episode. <laughs> Man, I know oh, I need to watch I think more it's Doctor in the Who. New Who era. Yeah, I want to say it was it was the one of the tenth Doctor Christmas episodes. It was his first episode. Yeah. Do you guys remember the Tales from the Crypt episode? What was that? All through the house or something? Yeah, that's yeah. like one of the first season episodes, actually, like the very first one. Originally yeah. televised on HBO. And that had a classic Santa Claus killer. Yeah, the same in every way, almost. Except, yeah, an escape mental patient. Yeah, he was closer to, like, Black Christmas, uh, that, that Santa Claus. Yeah, Black yeah. Christmas. But in this movie, it kind of has a second villain in the Mother Superior. I mean, her methods... Oh, fuck her. Yeah, her methods are pretty much what solidify Billy's descent into madness in so many ways. Right, guys? Yeah, she kind of, I mean, they kind of created the monster. And you have Sister Margaret, who throughout the entire movie is sympathetic to Belly's plight. And it was always on his side. But then you have like Mother Superior. And, and it's almost kind of like the dichotomy in, in organized religion with where you have, you know, good people and then you have bad people. <laughs> well, to me, it's something a little more ingrained in a structural sense. I mean... Sister Margaret, she doesn't have a whole lot of power over what is happening with Billy. It's pretty much all left up to Mother Superior. And her methods. Yeah, and yeah. her methods. It's like, and, and these methods are essentially just hardcore disciplinarian bullshit, which we all know doesn't actually work. Corporal punishment. Doesn't work in this situation, needless to say. No. It 
it and it almost too like it almost kind of makes it that much worse for Billy because you have one of the scenes I think it's the second transition where he is made to sit on Santa's lap and kid gives him a, a beautiful upper decker oh <laughs> man yeah that was amazing <laughs> right hook right there and uh you know that trauma is uh she's like you know i'm just gonna make him face his fears head on and sometimes that can intensify his fears and make the mental health of the individual that much worse yeah it's not what i would call effective treatment at all but i don't really think that mother superior is an actual you know professional as far as that type of child care is concerned not at all like sister margaret seems like she might have a little bit of that type of training but like i said she just doesn't have much of a voice there and that's a more of a structural issue with the actual hierarchy of the church okay if they all knew that santa claus killed his parents why would they make him sit on their on his lap it's just part of that hardcore authoritarian disciplinarian approach to child rearing that it's yeah. always been proven to be more negative. So, to you know, in a way, development, in a way, this was bound to happen. You know, this was only his destiny to begin with. I mean, it, well, especially since his trauma is associated with a holiday that comes every year without fail, yeah. starts actually creeping in earlier and earlier every year. Kind of like Halloween, yep. you know? Yeah, kind of like Halloween. Just yeah. like Halloween. They allude to that, too, that every year, like, around this time, he gets bad. And then right after Christmas, he's good again. And he's, you know, a functioning member of society. He's a good, you know, upstanding person for most of the year. It's just around Christmas. Well, you see that when he becomes, he starts working at the toy store. And mm-hmm. he's like, you know, you have that those cheesy 80s sitcom <laughs> monologues or uh, not monologues montage that's the word it's I was montage yeah, yeah yeah that's right and then then he sees santa claus and it's just like everything kind of goes downhill he's like oh yeah. no and it's like- and the other guy mentions that his i guess his manager who's not the owner but like underneath him but is like the guy that ends up you know hitting on his girl crush he's like you know you've been giving me an attitude lately and so you get the sense that yeah like around the holidays he's getting more agitated there's a scene earlier in the orphanage scene that also kind of does that as well. I like how the first 30 minutes of this movie, almost half the movie is, is actually just the setup. I, I feel like it, it makes it that much more effective from that angle is because the on time, our show, the time. Yeah. 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 So on our show, every Friday the 13th, we've been working our way through the franchise. And one of the things that I always mention is like, I hate how like a lot of these characters never feel properly fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Another argument for another day. I don't want to get into it here. Yeah. But uh, I, I appreciate this, that this film is kind of the anomaly for that formula that you actually are spending so much getting to know this character and really seeing how this traumatic effect really is playing all the way into adulthood. Because I think you don't really ever think about that as a when you're a kid or like when you think about kids that if they experience something traumatic like that, that it's going to, it could play into childhood unless they are sorry at into adulthood, unless proper attention is given. Yeah. I was going to say that him working at a toy store. I mean, it's kind of part of that perfect storm that Ash was alluding to earlier. He, He is at a place that is invariably going to start getting into Christmas 
in a way that will just have it like just full on in front of his face at all times during the holidays. So it's like it's probably the worst environment for him to work at. Yeah, it is actually. That's crazy. Would this? Did you guys think that this was his first job too? That's kind of what they let it out to be. His sister Margaret was looking for a job for him and had asked the owner if he would take him on. So that, that's the impression that I got. Yeah. Well, you have to remember, like, within the canon of this movie, he's 18 years old. Right. He's just hit adulthood. So, I mean, that might be the first time that he's actually going out and trying to look for work. Yeah. Right. And he's 18, so they're not going to be able to watch him anymore. Yeah. Like, that's when you usually get kicked out of the orphanage. So she's going out of her way probably to set him off on a good foot and get him started off. You know, like, hey, here you have a job, and now you can take care of yourself. Yeah. Yet another example of Sister Margaret actually doing something for the benefit of Billy's personal well-being, you know. Right. But even so, he still gets a job at a toy store. It's like, oh, my Lord. It's like, that's okay <laughs> up until a certain point for him. And right. that kind of makes me think of the fact of, you know, do we really truly understand the depth of what he went through? Because, you know, they when they find Billy and I forget his, his little brother, Ricky, uh, Ricky. So when they find both of these and they get admitted to the orphanage, they just see that the car's been driven off the road, mother's shirt's open, and the father's dead. They didn't know that, like, he was killed by a, a Santa. It's never really alluded to whether or not the Santa Claus killer in the first half of the movie was actually caught or anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it is plausible to think that, you know, they really don't understand the trauma linked with Santa and the holidays of why everything is doing. They could just be like, oh, well, he's experiencing this because this is the time of year where his, fam where his parents died, you know? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. It makes the movie make a lot more sense if, if hmm. you take that into account that they don't know the details of it. I, that's a good point. I never thought about that. Sister Margaret doesn't know that she's basically setting him up to fail, as does Mother Superior. It kind of seems in the end that Billy might actually get his revenge on Mother Superior for a second there. Like, it's it gets really, really close to him picking that axe up. And, and there, there's a moment where she's almost resigned to it, it looks like, where she closes her eyes and she's just expecting that blow. But yeah. you know, then the, the detective shoots him. But spoiler alert, yeah, Ricky gets his revenge on Mother Superior in the sequel. Uh-huh. And... By the time that we see Mother Superior in the sequel, she has evolved to Two-Face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they had to get a different actress to play Mother Superior in the second movie. They, they couldn't get the original Mother Superior. Oh, I did not know that. I always wondered, like, why she looked slightly different. Yeah, th that's why. It's a different actress. I mean, I don't know why they couldn't get the original woman who played Mother Superior, but, you know... I'm just surprised you went all the way into the second one because I just feel like cutting it off, you know? <laughs> well, at least it's not like Mortal Kombat 2 where, or Annihilation uh, where uh, all the characters <laughs> were replaced practically. Oh, man, that's so we were, terrible. We were talking about that. See, if it was the real Johnny Cage, he wouldn't have died. No, he wouldn't have died if that was true Johnny Cage. <laughs> no. Throwback to our last episode, which was a collab, collab between uh, Collateral Cinema and Collateral Gaming. 
Oh, I'm so sorry that you guys sat through that movie. I tried last year to watch it, and I was like, got like 20 minutes into this, and I was like, I feel oh. like I'm getting dumber with every minute. We didn't, we didn't watch Annihilation. We just watched the first one. Yeah. We, we tried to uh, pretend that Annihilation doesn't exist. You know, kind of like Master Disguise. <laughs> so I saw Annihilation in theaters. I did too, yeah. and it was terrible. I'm so sorry you wasted your money. <laughs> it, it, it was horrible. It was, oh, it, was a dollar, it was a dollar movie on uh, Everest. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. It was a dollar movie in San Antonio. Yeah, but there's at least thirteen kills in this movie, right, Robert? Yeah. Let's elaborate on some of those kill scenes. What's the first one that comes to mind? Like probably uh, the grocery store clerk. Oh yeah, the uh, lady in the beginning, where you know the Santa Claus comes in. Oh yeah. And he tries robbing the store, and he plugs he plugs the clerk like three times. Yeah, that's what kind of grounds this movie a little bit in sort of reality in a way. Yeah. That's what kind of makes uh, Billy's trauma even worse. Is that th- this is a just a stone cold killer who. Just shot somebody over barely forty bucks. Yes, you know. I mean, of course, he was going to do whatever he could because he was desperate. Mm-hmm. You know. But yeah, I mean, that's a pretty memorable scene because I mean, he just blasts him three times. I mean, shit. I mean, as soon as he saw he was reaching for his gun, and then he just ends up yeah. taking the money out of yeah, the register. He was reaching for that thirty-eight. And yeah. Shit, man. Guys, uh, what was your some of your most memorable kills in this movie? I gotta say, whenever the character of Denise, what did you say her her actor's name was, Lena Quigley or something? Lena Quigley. Yeah. Lena Quigley. Yeah. Whenever he lifts her and puts her <laughs> onto the antlers. The antlers. <laughs> that is a classic scene, and yeah. that was last Christmas. I don't know if y'all follow the Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. His male girl, uh, Darcy. Diana Prince, that's her real name. Like, she uh, replicated that uh, kill in the Christmas episode from last year. Like, she, like, full on, like, antlers through her shit and everything. It it was done to comedic effect, but it's like, yeah, I I thought I'd bring that up because, I mean, that was pretty memorable. And that's kind of an iconic scene as well. Yeah, I probably would have to say that that is probably my favorite kill in this one as well. Though I did like the idea of being strung up by lights with his warehouse manager. I thought that was done very well. It was the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there.
Now try and survive Christmas. Silent night. Deadly night. Would have been a little bit cooler had we kind of gotten something like the Halloween cop light kind of thing. Yeah. In the the new one where like the, they would have actually lit his, his light up. But I thought that was probably one of the better ones, too. Yeah, that was a pretty cool scene. And, and I mean, yeah, the the bow and arrow scene. It's like, yeah. I, who was it earlier that asked, you know, why the fuck they would have a real bow and arrow in? Uh, I asked Store. that as in I Toy was Store, watching Store. that. I was like. Yeah, it's like I guess that was just toy stores in the eighties or you no, know, was, the early eighties. It was for the good guy doll, the child's play doll. It was for the good guy doll. <laughs> it was for Chucky, man. God damn it! What about you, Bo? Your memorable kill scene? The sled kill, all the way. The, oh. I mean, I'm always down for a good movie decapitation, and that one delivered. I mean, especially and then the head rolls down, and I I just had to laugh whenever that happened. Yeah, and it couldn't happen to more deserving guys, honestly. That was just yeah, like Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, yeah, it was very much of a Friday the Thirteenth kind of kill. Pretty nasty. But uh, yeah, I mean that scene is uh, kind of humorous and it's scary at the same time, and it's one of the all-time classics. But also that clerk that gets killed with the bow and arrow, that's kind of memorable as well. That That's the last one of the actual uh, staff that he kills. And yeah, Save I mean, I don't last. know. No, it won't be the last. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, like out of the, the toy store staff, like it was the best for last. I it think. was the best. But yeah, save the best for last. I got you. Yeah. Robert, what was your favorite? My favorite? Huh. A I lot think of you mentioned the, the clerk, right? Well, the, the beginning. beginning. Yeah, I mentioned the clerk. But I don't know. There's 13 of them. It's kind of hard to remember all of them, actually. And there's such actually. Ex- no, no. You know what it is? It's when you you know the the Santa Claus is walking over to the orphanage, right? Oh, and that's the right. Cops, they're walking over to the kids, right? And then the cop just plugs them. Yeah, right in front of those kids. Dude. It turns out it was the deaf uh, priest that was uh, just trying to bring some holiday cheer. Yeah. Like, Damn it. So they killed the wrong Santa hey. Claus. Almost had a second Santa Claus do that as well with the the father sneaking into his daughter's bedroom. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. It almost happened then. It's like that was kind of a cute scene, I, I think. Even though, I mean, how many dads are going to do that? I mean, I guess that was kind of an '80s thing. Go right up through the chimney. How many fathers got stuck in the chimney in the '80s? <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord. Well, you you want to get dark? You can always talk about the Phoebe Cates character from Gremlins. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Maybe that's a movie we could talk about next year, man. Gremlins is a fucking amazing movie. Love that movie. Yes. Yeah. Now, this movie had quite a few sequels. And the sequels, like like we said, the second movie is kind of a clip show pretty much. But have any of y'all seen the fourth or the, the fifth movie, the third, fourth, or fifth ones? So I had actually... Like, I don't know if I like I repressed this or like I just didn't process it until I saw this movie. But when I was growing up, I used to spend time over a buddy of mine's house all the time. And like my parents were pretty like conservative, like Christian household. So it's like, yeah, horror wasn't allowed. And he didn't care. So oftentimes I would watch stuff over there. And one of the first ones that I had actually seen was part five, the toy maker yeah. with oh Don Rickles. God. No, that's Mickey Rooney. Was, Mickey Rooney. Mickey Rooney, that's who it was. Which is, uh, I, which and, is ironic. Excuse me. It's ironic because he criticized the, the first movie. 
That is ironic. And it's such an unlikely character for this franchise, too. But I ended up uh, watching that and forgot about it for years, thought it was always a Child's Play sequel. And so when I went back last year and rewatched all the Child's Plays for our coverage of the reboot, uh, I was like, where where's this movie that I remembered? And when I watched this, it like everything clicked together. So this was that's funny that you would first horror movie I've ever seen. That is funny that you would actually confuse those two. Not entirely unsurprising. I I, I don't blame you. I mean, they kind of have a similar feel to them, both franchises. Right, Robert? Yeah. I mean, you know, I didn't know part three and four or five were even a thing. Kind of like the house movies, you know. I thought it was just the two, you know. I didn't know there was four of those. Yeah. You know. For the longest time, I wasn't aware that there were more house movies either, but... I don't know. I remember seeing part five of Silent Night, Deadly Night years ago. I think it was an edited for TV version, and it was on one of the local channels, like one of the Fox 35 channels. Mm-hmm. But I kind of remember that one because of the because of that one evil Santa Claus toy that kills the dad. <laughs> like That's yeah. what really kind of stands out to me from that movie. So... Yeah, I, I, I definitely saw that movie. I think there's a actually that evil Santa. I think there's actually a Simpsons parody of that episode. Yeah, of that movie. Yeah, it's a Treehouse of Horror. I'm I'm not sure which yeah, one I it was, so. but yeah, it was a Krusty doll, and turns out in the <laughs> end he was just uh, turned on to evil. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Spoiler, everybody! <laughs> that was a great episode. I I love that shit, but. I guess I don't know. Maybe we can start we, wrapping uh, up a little bit. Oh, we can talk about the remake. We didn't do. We that. talk about the remake. Yeah, let's yeah. talk about the remake. Have y'all seen Silent Night, the remake, the twenty twelve version? I remember. I remember seeing the trailers for it when it came out, but I've not watched it, and I'm uh, I'm yeah. very much over remakes. Yeah, um, but <laughs> Robert, you own that movie, right? Yes, yes I do. What's the most uh, notable parts of that movie? Huh, man, just the kills, just they're more elaborate than the original almost, you know? Yeah, I think I kind of remember some of it. Like I mean, when like was, he was electrocuting this one cop, he wrapped him up with Christmas lights and then like turned a, a fuse breaker on. So it's kind of elaborating on one of the kills from the original, just kind of I mean, they used giving this, it. Yeah, they used the same, the, the deer horn kill too. Oh, wow, really? But I think I remember yeah, that. Yeah, remember that? Yeah. Or, you know, one of the crazy kills in that movie was when he cuts that, that girl's uh, leg off and then he throws her in the wood chipper. Oh, Dude, yeah. that effect is just dirty. Yeah. And, and that was kind of a low-budget movie, right? Yeah. I mean, you got Malcolm McDowell in the leading role, but <laughs> he's a star. Jesus, man. <laughs> Ash, I, I take it you've never heard of that movie? Which movie? Uh, the Silent Night remake. <laughs> That's what I thought you were talking about, but... No, I mean, I, I heard about it now after doing a little bit of research for this podcast. We'll watch it. <laughs> All of which, so the sequels 2 through 5 and the remake are now streaming on Tubi for free. Yeah, nice. Oh, well. Yeah, s- strangely enough, Silent Night, Deadly Night itself is not free to stream. Like, we had nope. to rent it on YouTube to watch it. Yeah. Same. I, I rented it on Apple TV because fuck Google. I, I, I'm not going <laughs> to give them that. <laughs> I want to say that maybe it's on Shutter, but I haven't had my Shutter subscription on for a while, so no. It, so the only one on Shutter right now is actually the second one. Oh, really? 
Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, for fuck's sake, it has a recap of the entire fucking movie. A, Why not? It's a piece of garbage, dude. Yeah. <laughs> they shouldn't have not made the second one. <laughs> Oh my lord! I mean, I mean, wh why would you need the first movie? I mean, you just watch that and then learn everything you need to know about it. Yeah, but you miss the em emotional core of that movie. Exactly. I, I, that's really what this movie boils down to: is that it's really a character study of this kid going through this trauma and then finally just breaking down in a violent way. Yeah. And it, like I said before, I mean, the, there's a good portion of the movie that's just the buildup for that and allowing you to sympathize with the character, essentially. And you see that all of these are just the right ingredients, you know, like we were saying before a few times, the perfect storm, in a sense. Mm -hmm. And so you have a trauma victim who then almost has no choice but to move onward with that based on the events that happened throughout the film, you know? Believable or not. <laughs> yep. I would argue that it's kind of almost like a self-contained prison that he's made for himself. Mm -hmm. And the fact that because of his trauma, he hasn't spoken about it. And that's the reason that he feels like he has to really become Santa, for lack of a better word. Right. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're pretty much watching just this downward spiral for this kid. Because one of the things that I was wondering is... I mean, would he have gone off like this had he, like, been, a, like, a landscaper or something like that? Or is Christmas in Santa Claus just something so inescapable that he would have broke down like this eventually, one yeah. way or the other? It was only a matter of time, right? Yeah, but would not working at a toy store had kind of... Not triggered know, that? Not triggered that immediately? I think, yeah, putting on the Santa suit definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was also going to say is that the first time that he stares in the mirror and he sees himself as Santa Claus and like having to embrace a lot of his own ideology of what he believes Santa is because of this traumatic event and because of his grandfather's monologue, yeah. you know, stop it or I'll punish you. That's like 180 degrees away from like the traditional Santa that we know. So like, right. like, his own version of Santa Claus is like twisted. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely working in this toy store was just not good for his psyche. It was, I mean, it seemed like the environment was maybe even a little toxic kind of like, especially with his back uh, room manager. Yeah. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. <laughs> uh, can I ask you guys something too? So we're talking about uh, like stepping back with like the streaming did your version have like these random shots that would like go out of focus? Yes. Like, here and there, yeah. I mean, Dude, I, I it think it bothered me so much. It yeah, bothered me that this... the quality of the film would change. It would just in an instant, like when yeah, they, they set that. up the next shot, you had this really like shitty quality, grainy film. You know, it, that really did bug me. It did. That's, <laughs> that's how it was I, shot. I yeah. want to say that that's because maybe they uncovered some new footage recently and made a full. That's what makes the full uncut version of it. Dude, yeah. Because I, I could swear like 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 a good example is the antler kill scene. Like there's those moments where you could tell it was added in after the movie was really edited the first time because you, when you actually see the antlers going through her abdomen, it starts getting really grainy and really dark and kind of out of focus. I mean, there, there's a lot of moments like that. That's it, some of the uncut version. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, that that's my best guess is that, I mean, they had to use that footage to make the uncut version, but I mean, they just didn't have the time to really mess yeah. with it and get it to fit in with the movie the way it should have. My Bloody Valentine is like the, the original. Yeah. Yeah, it some is. Of the, some of the kill scenes. And I have a version of Army of Darkness that's supposed to be the quote-unquote bootleg version that was released many years ago, and that has uh, extra footage that's added that has that same effect. It has it, it gets really, really grainy, and it looks kind of incongruous in context to the the actual movie that was released. Mm. So that that's my best guess with that. I would... Also, even dare to say that given the controversy that you're talking about at the beginning of the episode with the MPAA, like they were a lot harsher on movies like this back in the 80s than they are today. So I'm almost kind of saying like that the version that was released in theaters where you have like all of like the main shots. And so like the uncut version is kind of what they sent to video and like spliced in everything. Yeah, exactly. Yep. More than likely, that's probably what's on the master tape. I would imagine it's like that. That's probably taken straight from the masters. Hey, Quentin Tarantino says he owns an original copy, right? Yeah, Damn. that's right. He owns an original print of the movie. Crazy. And apparently, him and Robert Rodriguez, yeah. like I, I forget what it was. I think it was that Tribeca or something. Some film thing. Some in film Austin. festival. He they actually recreated the grandfather's scene, like word for word. Oh, mm-hmm. really? Yeah. not surprising you know he's really into these types of movies did you guys know that the kill scenes had to be directed by the editor 
because yeah, the director well, I, was uncomfortable with the gore heavy parts. <laughs> yeah, they, they they got a director like initially they wanted some younger blood, you know, kind of like a John Carpenter at the time, but instead uh, Charles Sellier, uh, I think that's his name. Junior Sellier yeah. Junior. He had already been in the industry for a little while, like a good forty years. He had like, done some he, Christian films, right? Yeah, he did some weird Christian films, like some type of. Uh, Christian propaganda or something like that. Yeah, so it's it's kind of weird how you would do like a horror Santa Claus movie. You yeah, know? It, it's and I'll, I don't know. It kind of makes sense why he would be uncomfortable Super making weird. those types of scenes. I guess. Yeah, that's that's weird. How you go from something like that to like this a film <laughs> that has you know not only amazing gags but also some pretty uncomfortable rave scenes to go through as well. Well, it's oh, yeah. not it's not that out of left field because I don't know if you've ever seen any type of exploitation movies by Estes Perkle. He hooked up with a former Grindhouse producer and director and they made a bunch of Christian scare films like The Believer's Heaven, If Footmen Tire You, What Will Horses Do? Which is just all this weird kind of red baiting shit. I mean, yeah, the, the whole MAGA thing, it, it goes back a lot further and these films actually kind of <laughs> you know, elucidate that. But it's not that far-fetched that, you know, somebody who even would just make exploitation movies would just switch over and start making Christploitation films. Christploitation. Yeah, that's the name of the genre, Christploitation. (laughs) (laughs) Did not even know that was a thing. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's pretty much like your God's Not Dead, Let There Be Light, Last Ounce of Courage, and, you know, movies like that. That's pretty much what that is. That makes sense, though. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, also, this movie was opened on the same weekend as Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. And strangely enough, it outpaced Nightmare on Elm Street as far as the box office returns are concerned. But how much of that is actually the controversy and people wanting to understand the controversy better? Oh, it was 100% the controversy. It was pretty much the Streisand effect. (laughs) The Streisand. No, that's an actual thing where, like, the more that you try to actually repress something, the more likely people are going to try to flock to it to see it because, you know, it's kind of a forbidden fruit. That makes sense. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You know, kind of like how Jerry Lewis has been trying to suppress uh, The Day the Clown Cried for, like, ever. He, he has it, like, specifically, it's in the Library of Congress, but he specifically doesn't want it released until his death. Like, that's really? how badly he doesn't want that movie coming out. So it's kind of similar <laughs> to that. Mm-mm. Dang. Yeah. But what do you guys think about the actual Christmas elements of this movie? And is this a movie that people should watch around the holidays? I mean, just in general? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a holiday I mean, movie. I mean, what, what do y'all think? I mean, especially with the controversy that surrounded it for so long. I mean, it's nothing that would really bat an eye in this day and age. But, I mean, if you're into horror, definitely. But... I would go so far as to say that this is something that you should watch alongside like Die Hard or Nightmare Before Christmas or, you know, even like The Grinch, you know, put, put this on afterwards. You know, I, I put this up there on my shelf right next to Miracle on 34th Street, <laughs> It's a Wonderful Life. Hell yeah. And A Christmas Story. And A Christmas Story, yeah. A Christmas oh, Story is kind of, that's kind of a horror movie in its own right. Jeez. You know, just one Don't of those timeless try, yeah. classics. Yeah. Even the Frosty the Snowman movie. I don't know. And also, uh, Farkas follows uh, us on Twitter. So, hey, man, how you doing? 
so I would say for me, like this was a first time and I would definitely say that I've seen a lot of Christmas horror, but nothing has ever been able to like get into like the position of Christmas tradition the way that Black Christmas has. Yeah, Black Christmas is Ooh. fundamentally one of the all-time greats when it comes to Christmas horror films. The original one that came out in the 60s, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it was the 70s. Yeah. 74. 74? It yeah. was the 70s. It had, um, uh, God, what's Margaret it? Didn't it have Margot Kidder. Kidder in it? Yep. Uh, yeah, it had Margot Kidder. She was in that yep. movie. John Saxton was in there, right? He played the John cop. Saxon? Yeah. yeah. John yes. Saxton. Fucking John yes. Saxon, who Speaking passed away recently. May he rest in peace. Good actor. Yeah. Damn. But yeah, man, Black Christmas is essential. And, and I I even like the remake of that one, honestly. Yeah, that wasn't too bad. I mean, they made another which, one, right? Pretty one? recently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not talking about the recent 2000. 19 yeah, remake. That, I'm talking the 2003 remake. It was the 03, right? That was like 07 or 06. It was 07, right? 06. I remember yeah. the phones. They were like Razor phones, I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> it's a time the, capsule, uh, man. The The cinematography for the remake is gorgeous. The, it is. the yellows and like the greens, like just so stunning. Especially in the flashback to uh, the yeah. killer's backstory. Pretty yeah. messed up. Yeah. But for me, I, I feel like this movie is, and I, I feel like I'm going to be the black sheep. This movie's fun, but it's a movie that, like, I just don't see myself, like, revisiting as much as, like, you guys would do. I don't know why. Yeah. Just, it did not have a profound impact on me. That's fair enough. Like, to me, what I like about this movie, and I guess we can go ahead and get into our final thoughts for this movie. I'll go ahead and get started. To me, this movie perfectly captures that childhood innocent fear that a kid would have for Santa. Because, you know, it's kind of, you know, half and half with kids. Some kids gravitate to Santa and are really entertained by him. Other kids are just terrified by him. I mean, I don't remember if I was terrified by Santa Claus, but, I mean, I could totally see how kids could be creeped out by him. And I wasn't because... I never believed in Santa Claus. My parents just didn't do the Santa Claus thing with me. Oh, well, they, fair enough. Fair enough. They, they saw it kind of as uh, lying to your children, and I don't know if I disagree <laughs> with that, actually. Yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not bad. I actually agree with that approach, you know? Kind of I, I was kind of more of a, uh, a rational thinker as a result of it, and I, it's kind of the approach I want to go with my daughter, like just understand that your family gives you presents. I don't know. Yeah. Well, who do they think gives them all those presents? Well, there's a rumor going around the earth that – the parents do it. I suppose the parents eat the milk and cookies too. No. no way. How can they do all that in one night? It's pretty much a child's first example of using Occam's razor kind of when they finally discover what's going on with Santa. And that's no, why there was a distinct moment of my childhood where I remember having peers that believed in Santa Claus and I thought the entire idea was ridiculous and I had no idea why, how they would believe that. <laughs> There was a distinct moment in my childhood where that happened, and it was weird. It was weird to be in like this, like, I'm not trying to like lift myself up and like I'm so smart or what, but it, yeah. I just remember having that feeling of like, how do you believe this? And it's because like they've always have believed this and they have no choice but to continue believing it because why would my parents not tell me the truth about that? So <laughs> you know what, it's almost Tim, like an indoctrination. <laughs> you know what? Tim Allen was a Santa Claus anyway to me. <laughs> Tim, yeah, Tim Allen, that was your Tim Santa Allen. Claus, huh? Yeah, isn't that fitting? Been, had to have been, right? 
Why did they Simone. make Tim Allen Santa Claus? Why? Why just, did they do that? Just the first Fantastic one. Santa why does that movie? Why does that movie exist? Oh, I, I, <laughs> why not? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't do Tim Allen. Tim Allen is just not funny to me in any way, sense, or form. It's not not even due to any political disagreement. I just don't think he's that great of a comedian or actor. And I don't know. Maybe he's okay as, as Santa Claus, but. I don't know. His his performance in that movie just comes across as just really mean spirited, and I just don't like it. Hmm. I don't have a problem with Tim Allen. I just I don't think that that movie's very good at all. You're right. Kurt Russell is a better Santa Claus. <laughs> Kurt Russell's a better Santa yes. Claus. Kurt Russell is there a good go. Santa Claus. Yeah. Kurt Russell is the Santa Claus. And so is know. Mel fucking Gibson. Mel no, no Gibson. Yeah. Mel Gibson. Oh fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll be checking that out on the crosscast. So, uh, Robert, what are your final thoughts? You know. It's still a new movie to me and only seen it for like, I think we saw it like the last few years or a couple yeah. of years ago. Yeah. Anyway, I showed it to you. I fell in love with it. And, you know, it, it, I wouldn't mind putting it on like every December, you know. At least December. Yeah. Maybe not exactly on Christmas, but it's definitely a movie to put on during December, right? Yeah. Because I, I don't think, uh, I think we watched it last December and I hadn't seen it since. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like those one time movies you kind of put on. Once a year. Right. Uh, All right, uh, Captain, what are your final thoughts? A compelling character study that effectively uses its horror for entertainment, but its last act falls apart in the end. That's fair enough. All right, Ash, uh, you will wrap it up for us. What are your final thoughts? I don't know if it's a movie that I'll necessarily be like, yeah, I really want to rewatch that. But if it's the Christmas season, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's during the holidays and I am watching a bunch of Christmas movies or holiday movies. I think it's something that I might put on again. It would be kind of interesting to see the sequels in the remake as well. I'm interested to, I mean, I know that you guys say that they're bad or at least the second one is bad, but you got to watch the bad and the good, right? Yeah. At least you watch skip yeah. the second one. Just skip the second one. Okay. You lived the first one. Just skip the second one. Okay. The First only notable the thing from the second it, one, right? <laughs> the only notable thing from the second one is the garbage day meme, and you can find that in other ways. So this is what you do. Is that where Re that comes from? Yes. You reference yeah. that all the yeah. time, garbage though. This yeah. is what you do. Remember the first one and only watch half of the second one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I not even the. It's like it's like the last like thirty five minutes. There, yeah, when he escapes the mental. Yeah, it's asylum. terrible. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> Well, let's go ahead and start doing all the plugs and everything. We'll start with Captain Nostalgia. Go ahead and plug your show. Absolutely. You guys can catch these guys on my show come Christmas Day when we talk about Fat Man, where it is uh, male Gibson as Santa Claus and uh, this new fun and exciting interpretation of the character. But you guys can find us everywhere on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, Letterboxd and wherever you guys get your podcast from victims and villains will get you guys .net will get you access to all of that social media past episodes and most importantly our suicide prevention library excellent yes and that's definitely a good show like subscribe to them immediately and ash you also have uh, collateral gaming stuff to announce right Oh, hell yeah. All right. So we just released our episode on The Last of Us Part Two, which incidentally is game of the year. That's Ooh. crazy to me that like the day that we released the second part of that episode is the day that the Game Awards happened and announced The Last of Us Part Two as game of the year. So please 
Go check that out right now. It's already out. We have a part one and a part two of part two. And uh, in addition, be ready for our anniversary episode on Skyrim and our own holiday special on Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Excellent. And with Collateral Cinema, we are going to be... Actually, you know what? Let's let Robert plug Killing Night next. If you haven't seen it already, watch Killing Night on YouTube, IGTV, or what else? That's pretty much it. Yeah, pretty much. And subscribe to my channel if you can. Friend me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And it's your out. movie, Robert. Why do you not know where it's listed at? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I, I got other things. I'm working. I'm working on cinematography for my next film. Um, That's fair enough. Yeah. So look for Texas Sundown. So oh, yeah. I'll, I'll be doing Ooh. that short film pretty soon. Texas Sundown sounds interesting. Well, Collateral Cinema is going to be diving into David Lynch again very soon after the first of the year. And we're going to be doing Mulholland Drive with a special guest. We are going to have the hosts from Shocked and Applaud come on the show, and they're going to talk about that movie with us. We're looking forward to having them on the show. It's going to be very interesting. And we'll also be doing our anniversary episode, which, of course, is our Mike-versary. That's going to be Takashi Miike's Gozu. I can't wait to show that movie to you guys. It is a mindfuck and a half I mean, and it's appropriate that we're going from David Lynch to Takashi Miike and Gozu. It's only only fitting. It's only fitting that we do that. Yeah. So I love Takashi Miike. So and I'm getting introduced to more and more of his work over time. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's why we specifically do that on our anniversary episode. We specifically explore Takashi Miike films there. So, yeah, Gozu is going to be a lot of fun. So look for that very soon. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can also check us out on Patreon. We have tiers starting at $1. Please become a patron on our show. And you can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Chill Lover Radio, LoftyCast Radio. You can find us on iHeartRadio. And you can get us wherever you get your podcasts at. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get the hell out of here before or uh, the wind blows us away. <laughs> I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Robert Ortegon. I'm Ashley Chancellor. And I'm Captain Nostalgia. And this was Collateral Cinema. And check us out on the Victims and Villains Crosscast. See you later. Bye. <laughs>
Collateral Cinema is an L Company production. All music and movie clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.